Aloha, North Kohala. It's Holly Allgood here on Tutu's Talk Story on KNKR LP 96.1 FM Kohala. I'm here today with Wendy Chamberlain. Very excited to have Wendy on the show today. Wendy is a bona fide garden designer, <laughs> and she has designed gardens as far away as New York on the East Coast, and she's been doing designing here in Hawaii, and actually has spent quite a bit of time in the last several years building a house here right in Kapa'au, right? Yeah. So, Aloha, Holly. I'm so delighted to have you here Thank today. Thank you. Yeah. Spur of the moment. Yes. Well, uh, it's continuing. We've been doing a little bit about a flower power hour. Oh, I've really wow. gotten into this. I've decided that flowers are just people need to know more about flowers. Absolutely. Yes. So, and especially now, gardens, everybody's planting because we have extra time. We have extra time and. Everybody wants to eat fresh fruit and mm -hmm. have fresh flowers. So anyway, delighted to have you here today. Thank you for asking me. And I think the first question people would want to know is, so what is a garden designer? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, well, it's someone that knows about plants and has the ability to walk onto a landscape and take the existing topography and uh, existing plantings and look at what could be done, changed, or doesn't need to be changed um, to make it more beautiful or more inviting to the homeowner or their family. That was a lot that I did on the East Coast was trying to figure out to get these New York City kids that were out at their summer home out of the house and into the garden and also their parents. Their parents were generally terrified of the garden, terrified of bugs, everything else. So it was like this whole indoctrination into the outside world for both the client and the, their children. And um, so that's a huge part of designing a garden, is to how to bring people into the landscape, how to make the landscape useful and productive for not only the humans, but for the uh, uh, endemic wildlife there as well. So it's, it's a lot of things, um, but it's really, really fun. And um, Well, since you've been telling us a little bit about your past, can you tell us a little more? Where did you grow up, and how did you get into landscape design? Well, I try not to make this too long because I've lived a lot of places, but I was born in California. We have plenty of time. Oh, that's true. Okay, I'll start from the very... No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that would be so boring. I grew... I was born in California. I grew up on the East Coast, mostly in Connecticut. Then I moved back to California when I was 13. Um, and then I went to New York City. And um, But when I went to college, I studied biology and botany and uh, oh, geology, sorry, couldn't think of that for a second. And then um, uh, when I came out, when I was in New York, I had all kinds of different jobs, um, really nice, great, fun, interesting jobs. But I really- Tell us a little bit about your jobs. Okay, okay. Well, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I decided to, um, you know, go explore all the different businesses that you could be involved in. 
So I decided the way to do that would become an executive assistant to the president or manager of these different businesses. So you get a bird's eye view of the business. So I did that. So I, my first job in the city was working for Benny Goodman, the clarinetist, and that was really, really fun. Wonderful man, and I learned a lot. Um, and then, you know, from there I went to Sotheby's, um, where I worked for the president there and learned a lot about the art world and all different kinds of art fields. And um, then, you know, I worked for uh, China Seas, which was, I can't remember the woman who ran it, but it was a fantastic fabric company where she imported all these um, handcrafted batiks from Bali. And, um, and then, it's terrible, I can't remember her name. Oh, well. Anyways, um, and then um, I ended up at Robert Lee Morris, who was a jewelry designer. And so I, I had all these bird's eye views into these different businesses. And the main thing, main takeaway was that they're all the same, essentially. Just different costumes, different tools, different kinds of clients. Um, but I was really burnt out from living in the city where I never saw the sky or the phases of the moon. So I decided to move out to Long Island, um, way out at the end, uh, where it's so beautiful, and especially 20 years ago, it was stunning. And, um, and I just loved it there. Um, I took a little job taking care of houseplants for a woman that had a company doing that, but I wanted to get outside. So I decided to start my own little landscape design business. And it just, in 20 years, it grew very fast because I loved it so much. When you love what you do, it's really true. You'll, the money will follow and you'll you know, really enjoy your life every day. So um, that's how I got into it. And I used my, you know, oh, also when I went to UCSC, I studied landscape painting. And so UCSC? University of California, Santa Cruz. Oh, okay. So I studied landscape painting there. So I put all that education and you know, aesthetic love into landscape design in the Hamptons. And it was, I'd wake up every morning just raring to go. And I loved what I did for 20 years. So can you describe a couple of the projects maybe that you worked on, something very big to something very small? Okay. Or a favorites? Uh, well, let's see. Um, one of my favorites was uh, a big property. It was about a two-acre property. Um, and, you know, we just kept adding to it. And, and the client was wonderful. They just, whatever they thought up, you know, or whatever I thought up, they wanted to do. It was like no holds barred. And so we had so much fun doing that. And one of the things they wanted to do, they had this huge outdoor sculpture of a white uh, phalaenopsis, a white orchid. It was probably about eight foot high and probably eight foot wide. And it was just sitting in the middle of the lawn. And I said, what do you think about putting a lily pond in front of that? And they said, oh, what a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Hamptons. <laughs> so um, that's, you know, um, one of my favorites. So we, we, you know, dug a big hole and we lined it and we put a wall, built a wall around a retaining wall, and then we filled it with water. And we almost didn't put lilies in because it was just so beautiful to see that white orchid reflected in the pond. But, um, you know, it was like a 30 by 50 pond. 
And, um, but we ended up putting water, white water lilies in it to match the orchid and then a fountain. And it was just, it was so much fun. It was so spectacular. And then we lit it at night. And, you know, so when we first go out with a client, you look at it at night and you're just all swooning. You know, that's really, really rewarding. Mm. Other jobs were, you know, building gardens um, for families that wanted to, you know, move into being more off-grid and, and living independently. And that was super fun, working with their children, doing that. Hard to get the children to do work, but that's okay. Um, and then other jobs that I really enjoyed were going onto a property that had been super, super neglected and keeping what was still, you know, vibrant and maybe very, very old and uh, therefore precious um, and, you know, without completely redoing the place or tearing down everything, just making it, bringing it back to its beautiful state. And um, so those were some of the things that I did that I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. So now you're in Hawaii. How, oh boy. <laughs> how did you make that transition? Well, one of my clients actually uh, in my business invited me here one winter to visit them in Mauna Lea. I, Mauna Lani, sorry. They had built a beautiful, you know, out of this world house by Black Sand Beach. And um, they invited me there for two weeks in the winter and, you know, couldn't say no to that. And, you know, a few days before I was leaving, I was lying by their pool and I was listening to the surf and feeling the sun and the beautiful cashmere air that we have here. And I just said, and why am I going back to, you know, February in New York? And um, so I thought about it and I couldn't really think of a really good reason. I was, you know, starting to wind down my business. So I started looking at property before I even went back home from this vacation. And um, when I got back home, I put my house on the market in Bridgehampton and, um, you know, kept looking for property here. I would fly back and forth all the time, you know, based on what my real estate agent at the time would tell me. And um, finally, I found the perfect piece of property. And um, about the same time, my house sold, fondly enough. That's always good when that yeah. works out that way. <laughs> it's always a good sign. And plus, you really need that. Uh, if that's how you're going to pay for the land. And um, so I sold my house, and uh, within about six months, I was here living in a little, you know, tiny home on my property, and that's where it started. I mean, I'm, I'm skipping all the tough, rough bumps and everything, but uh -huh. you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll probably ask you about those rough bumps because people oh, like boy. to hear that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what was the hardest thing, do you think, about making the move for you? Um, what was the hardest thing? You know, I don't really, I don't really know. I was so determined and things just seemed to fall into place. You know, like there was a lot of technical difficulty, like moving my dogs here. That was tough. Um, I got off the plane in, you know, um, Kona. Kona mm -hmm. And um, someone met me at the top of the stairs um, of the plane and said, oh, I'm really sorry, but your dogs went to Denver. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And I had actually asked the pilot when I got on the flight from, like, San Francisco to Kona, I said, are my dogs on board? Because I'm not leaving unless you tell me that my dogs are on board. And he said, yes, I just saw them go up 
up the ramp. But apparently there wasn't any enough room, so they went right back down the ramp, and he missed oh, that part. Mm-hmm. So, so that was that was rough. Um, but um, but they, they finally made they, it. The ne- they got here the next day. They went to Denver. They went to a very nice man who had a you know kennel, and I spoke to him, and you know he told me all about the dogs and everything. He was very nice. And uh, the next morning, I actually didn't even go home for the first night into my tiny shed, which I hadn't even seen. I had had someone build it. I, I went immediately to uh, the Hapuna Hotel <laughs> on the advice of my eldest sister who said, you're not having a good day. Go to the most expensive hotel you can find and just camp out till the morning and go pick them up. That, I'm sure that'll make things much better. And it did, fondly enough. <laughs> So um, so that's how that worked out. And it worked out very well. You know, I picked him up and I went to this little shed and we all embraced it and um, spent a full year there while my house was getting built. So at that time, were you designing your own landscape design? Yes, and that was a huge transition of, of gigantic proportions. Um, going from designing all these other people's homes and, you know, trying to find the best possible design for them was what I had been doing for 20 years. And then when it came to myself, I was like, oh, my God, I have no <laughs> idea what to do here. <laughs> so that was that was rough. And um, I just started buying plants and planting them intuitively um, and, you know, they were only like four feet tall, which I was used to planting much bigger things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's still, we still have to see how it's all going to turn out. But I think it's going to be okay. It's, it's very, it's not, you know, uh, perfectly manicured like most of the landscapes I took care of back east. Um, it's pretty much all, you know, oh, this plant looks, will probably be good here. This plant will be good there. I, you know, tried to be smart and think about things like, well, how big is it going to become? Because I didn't want to try to move anything or get out the chainsaw. So I thought a lot about how big and what kind of shadows the, you know, plantings would cast. And a lot about trying to plant endemic species because I thought that was important to plant native species here on this island and also lots of fruit trees like crazy fruit trees so that's that's how I started that yeah well it sounds very smart I think uh, that's what I see probably the number one biggest mistake that people make is planting uh, not thinking out the spacing of the plantings properly especially a lot of people come here want to plant trees and they plant them within three or four feet of the house, oh my God. and then they absolutely <laughs> have to be moved, yeah. or they start to have problems with rats or or some sort of vermin that mm-hmm. become a problem. Right. So it sounds like, well, at least with your experience, you you knew to do that. Yeah, I made all those mistakes twenty years ago, so <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't have to make them again. Mm-hmm. So what do you find, the other thing that I've found just as, an, as a planter, you know, the, the fact that things grow differently at different elevations, you didn't have to deal with that in New York, did you? Not at all. Not at all. Not Isn't at all. Isn't that crazy? No. Yeah, it is. It's so flat out there. It's just totally flat. And, um, you know, we also, where I was uh, at the end of Long Island, 
it's a kind of a microclimate. It's a very calm, very moderate climate there. So, you know, most of the big snowstorms miss us. You know, uh, it never really gets terribly cold. We have a very reasonable amount of water every year. There's exceptions, and it is changing because of climate change. But for the most part, it's a very moderate climate. So it's easy peasy to plant whatever you want there. You know, Mm -hmm. the only problems I had was trying to plant things that were more tropical there that didn't like the winters. And sometimes I'd have, like, I'd try to plant a lot of camellias, which are so beautiful. But they don't like it there. They they like Georgia. They don't like New York. (laughs) You know? They don't want to be by the coast. coast And they don't want to freeze. So So what are you finding has been easy here? Because I know a lot of people say it's hard to plant new plants in terms of are there have you already gotten favorite plants here yes um that's i tried to plant a wide variety of things and i love anything that grows well (laughs) 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 because it's not easy where i am i'm right above Campania Bay. Mm-hmm. So I get a lot of wind and I get a lot of salt. Mm, so both of those yeah, things. Very a lot exposed, a lot of sun, a lot of salt. And, you know, almost every plant I can think of, except maybe a cactus, likes a teeny bit of shade. Mm-hmm. It does much better with a little bit of shade. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so I love my ha- um, how. Mm. I have a how hedge, a mm-hmm. little one, mm-hmm. and um, but it's already getting kind of out of control. So sometimes a plant will do really well where you are, but too well. <laughs> right. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be doing some, you know, special pruning on that. But that that should be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really good windbreak for oh, people who are uh, both yep. have wind issues and also have salt issues because it'll d- do well by the coast. It doesn't huh? care about anything, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you just have to be careful because it will get really big mm-hmm. and it grows super tangled. So you might, mm-hmm. you know, want to thin it out occasionally. and But you can literally... Trim it into a very severe, obedient hedge, but of course, I'm not doing that where I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is a, a wind block where I where I have it. Mm-hmm. And then, jeez, um, um, so many plants I were doing so beautifully on the property, and then I think it was like two years ago, or maybe mm-hmm. only one year ago, we had a lot of seriously wicked wind that brought a lot of salt along with it, yes. you know, mm-hmm. and that burnt up so many things. I mean, they're coming back, but they look all deformed, you know, mm-hmm. only one side has leaves or only the top, the bottom has leaves and not the top. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, it's still um, an experiment, um, but I, I live in kind of extreme situation. I've seen the same plants and, you know, two blocks away that are flourishing, mm-hmm. but at my house, it's like... Mm-hmm kiss of death Mm -hmm. I you know I think that's something we don't often talk about you hear people talk about the wind and the sun but the salt I think because big problem it's a big problem but you also don't feel it no so it's one of those things you know if you're very close to the coast the salt does damage I, I know even on our the hardware on the houses doesn't oh do very well. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. but but the plants really—it's the same to know. thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, are there plants that tolerate salt better? Oh yeah, definitely. There's a whole list of them. Um, mm-hmm. I'm still finding them out, but you know, most, you know, fondly enough, most of the endemic plants that are that are you know uh, that can live at the lower elevations 
they're pretty good generally. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some like how, which is like just doesn't care about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a bunch of them whose names, of course, I can't remember at the moment, mm-hmm. but they're easy to find. Mm-hmm. Salt tolerant plants for mm-hmm. planting in low, uh, low elevations in Hawaii. Yeah, and they're they're wonderful trees, wonderful plants, and mm-hmm. um, um, I'm finding things like. Um, Java plum is a great one, although that's not endemic, but that, that I have a big one of those. Mm-hmm. It's kind of lopsided from the salt, but it mm-hmm. still comes back all mm-hmm. the time. And that's another, another plug I want to have for any trees. I sometimes hear people even make fun of certain trees, like the Java plum. They say, oh, you don't want that on your property. But it is very good if you have nothing as a way to get started and maybe... Uh, you know, create some shade or protection for other plants. And the wind is an amazing sculptor, and it makes very beautiful trees, you Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it shows the whole history of the tree in its leaves and its structure, so it's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I -hmm. just don't like it when it kills them, you know. (laughs) But when it just sculpts them, that's actually could be an added bonus. Right. Yeah. It looks like a, yeah. a bonsai. Or exactly. That someone's done it on purpose. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. What about grass? What oh, is my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What about, what about grass? <laughs> well, I just like to ask people about grass because it's, you know, there are some people who want grass. There are people who don't want grass because they think you should be planting food. And there's so many kinds of grasses here. So well, I, I like grass because I like to walk on it, and I like th- to have the clear view from a mowed lawn. Um, but I must say things like guinea grass and um, uh, is it bamboo grass? I don't know. There's two really wicked grasses here that I've never encountered in my entire life. And, and they're scary. <laughs> and it's a constant battle, and and sometimes I want to revert to deathly, deadly poisons. But of course, I'm never <laughs> going to do that ever. Um, I've thought of a blowtorch, but it's too dry here. Although um, you know, some people have you seen? There are these. Yeah, I probably even bought burners. one, and then I thought this is really a bad idea. <laughs> especially, can you imagine now? The whole place well, would go up like that. Yeah, especially if you live in a very dry yeah. area. If yeah. you have lots of green everywhere, you might want to try But you it. get kind of desperate and think of ways. So now I usually just hire gentlemen mm-hmm. that are big and strong, and I say, go for it. And <laughs> try to get as much as I can dug up from the roots. Mm-hmm. So otherwise, you just spend your entire life mowing it every yes. week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, grasses is a tough one. But there are some really good grasses here, too. Mm-hmm. And actually, guinea grass is supposedly very high protein as a forage for all your livestock. Yes, I was just hearing. I was talking to, we have a local alpaca person. Oh, really? Yes. Christine Hustis, I just want to give you a shout out. She was very kind. She showed a, 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 a client who just bought a beautiful piece of property here, and he, he wants to raise alpacas. Oh, yeah. So she was kind enough to have us over to her place and she was saying the same thing that guinea grass is actually one of the best feeds yep. for the it's alpaca true. it's so true that for was cows big, yeah. it's a little tough for horses if it gets high because um i was talking to my friend shay and she says that it cuts the corners of their mouth because mm. it's very sharp grass mm-hmm. so um you know i wouldn't want to set them out in a field that only had that 
Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. uh, but for cows and sheep and goats and donkeys and everything else, it's wonderful, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And plus, I mow my, you know, my pasture, you know, probably once every three months or six months and mm-hmm. give it a rest. And then all this beautiful, low, tender, green stuff. And it doesn't matter if it's guinea grass or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's very tender then and anything mm-hmm. can eat it. Mm-hmm. Good. I've just found this new weed that is not great for Uh-oh. going barefoot. I don't know. Uh, and I looked it up, and the common name they say is washerwoman. Have you seen this? It has tiny little balls with spikes. It looks. Oh my it, god! I know. Uh, we why never, would they call it a washerwoman? I don't it should know. be more like a mean man. <laughs> That's and terrible. It, I never heard of it before. We never had it on the property, but the last yeah. few years, uh, it's come onto the driveway, oh, and then it, uh, yeah, it's stuff on everybody. Like something from uh, like a burr from a. Yeah. It is like a burr. Oh, it, that's yeah. from the tree that's down by the beaches. Mm. Um, like at uh, Mon. Sorry, here. Comes well, that's my okay. That's Kampanaya okay. Beach. <laughs> they have trees there, and they have burrs. I uh-huh. mean, they have like a nut or a burr that mm-hmm. comes down and has this wicked spike. Mm-hmm. So that might be what you're talking about. These are very tiny. Really? Yeah, and oh. it spreads horizontally. It's a, it's a it's a really mean grass. It is a really mean grass. That's terrible. Yeah. Well, there's a sensitive weed. Which yes. It's like, oh, you poor thing. Well, don't yes. step on that because it'll you know, put a bazillion thorns in your foot. No. Not very sensitive to anybody else. <laughs> so. so some of these things, it also seems just change with time, you know, as to, and I think, uh, I know I've been to gardens lately where they want you to uh, purify your feet, walk on a pad that cleanses your feet so that you're not tramping seeds from other things in, and I always thought that seemed a little extreme until... We have this new thing in our yard, and, uh, you know, wasn't there two years ago. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've heard of that um, in a lot of situations doing that, but um, it does seem a little extreme to me. Um, there's a great Hawaiian weed book. Mm-hmm. It's oh. called Weeds of Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, clever title. <laughs> but that actually is full of information. Every weed you'd ever wanted to know about is in there. Mm. For instance, my property and the property next door was full of this weed that has these huge burrs like this, and it's a big leaf weed, and it's called, okay, sorry, just can't remember that name, <laughs> but anyway, cockleburr, it's a cockleburr, it's uh-huh. from, you know, the New World, which means us, the mainland, um, and it's just horrible, horrible spreading, it just will take over everything. But I found out that if you mow it three times, it stops. You know, just not completely, Mm -hmm. but enough to get it under control. Well, so that's true with a lot of weeds. We'll have to put that on our list. Weeds of Hawaii, that's a good resource. Yes. We're here talking to Wendy Chamberlain. You're listening to Tutu's Talk Story here on KNKRLP 96.1 FM Kohala. Hey, if you have any questions for Wendy, you can call us at 884 KNKR or 884 Five six five seven, or even if you just have a comment. And we're going to take a little station break, and we'll be back with you in a couple of minutes. Aloha, North Kohala. Kohala Cares has moved its weekly food drive from Sushi Rock to the Hub parking lot. Those in need can drive to the parking lot and pick up a bag of groceries. 
Pickup begins at 4.30 every Wednesday. Please wear a mask. Donations, especially produce, will be accepted Tuesday from 1.30 to 4 and Wednesday from 3 to 4.30. We want to thank all our donors and volunteers for making all this happen. Remember, we're all in this together. Mahalo. This is Isla Allgood of Women's Voices. Tune in on Monday and Wednesday from 4 till 6 p.m. to listen to women from around the world, around Hawaii, songs with positive and empowering messages on KNKRLP 96.1 FM. Monday and Wednesday, 4 to 6 p.m. Aloha, North Kohala. It's Holly Allgood back on Tutu's Talk Story. We're here on KNKR LP 96.1 FM Kohala. And our special guest today is Wendy Chamberlain. She's talking with us about garden design. And I think we have a caller on the line. Yes, you do. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Hi. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Hi Kat. Kat. <laughs> Oh boy, I hope they're easy. They're not too hard. The uh, first one is I'm trying to, draw, uh, to grow hydrangeas in a pot. Okay. Because I've seen them around and about, but someone told me you can't grow them in Kohala. You can grow them in Waimea, but it's too hot down here. Is that true? Uh, no. <laughs> no, okay, that's good. not true. You just have to put them in the right spot. You yeah, have to put them. Okay, well, you know, remember this only happens once a year because it's not from Hawaii. It may happen a few more times in oh, well, this I climate, but um, it, it might need a little food. And, uh, okay. don't, you know, don't forget hydrangeas are, are big iron lovers. Okay. Um, and they also like more acid than, than neutral soil. So, you know, Keep well, that in mind when you, you know, pick okay, a fertilizer. Okay, is there hydrangea fertilizer specific to something like that? Because oh, yeah. Because I never read the labels on packaging anymore. Yeah, there are there is, and there's um, um, okay. the Plant Tone family of products. They have one, um, you know, I don't know if you can find it here. That's, that's the problem. Okay. But, but the main thing is to keep it in a cool place, not too much sun. Um, yeah, what kind of hydrangea is it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> what color I, I, is the flower on the tag? Oh, I've had it for probably a few months. So oh, I don't okay. It. It's but probably I'll, blue. That's the only I color I've seen here other than uh, purple ones. Okay. And my second question is, um, could I please get the phone number of the big strong man that helps you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm happy to give that out. He's wonderful. His name is Brian. He's a wonderful okay. guy, and I've never seen anyone work so hard. Okay, well, after we're not on the air anymore, then we'll, uh, share, I'll share Brian with you. Okay, no. Thanks <laughs> for calling in, Kat. You're welcome, I'm loving the show. Okay. Thank you, Kat. Bye. Bye. So, yeah, that's a, a, you know, I heard somebody else talking about, uh, 
plans. And I, I, I heard somebody, a good quote the other day, somebody was saying that someone in a very, very dry location wanted to have a plant that uh, it was a certain variety of lemon that requires a lot, a lot of water and really would like a, a, a place that's much more damp. And she said, yes, you can grow it, but you may be spending $500 worth of water to get three lemons. So you might want to <laughs> fall in love yeah. with something that does better where you are. I totally agree. Don't fight it. Don't make the plant suffer because it will, and then you won't get great fruit. So there's really no point. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, anything citrus needs lots and lots of water. Otherwise, I mean, I, I didn't give enough um, water to my first lime tree, and it was I cut it open. It was like dry inside, spindly and dry. So you know, it's it's not nice to be mean to plants. So mm-hmm. you know, give them a chance. Mm-hmm. Play, put them in the right place. So I think a lot of people have issues with watering. Like how how do you know if the plant needs water? Um, well, I know because I've been doing this for so long and I think I actually hear the plants crying out for water at this point um, but the biggest the quickest tell-all is if it hasn't rained at all then you know you're probably getting to a point where you're going to have to water like within a week depending on the plant but the first thing it'll do is it'll either turn start to turn yellow or the plant will actually start wilting. The leaves will start wilting and the whole plant will kind of look like it's about to faint on you. Um, yellowing can also mean a lack of nutrients, um, but pretty much here, if it's been dry and it's starting to yellow, that means it really wants water bad. You don't want it to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, so what other things that do you think are important for people to know when they're, if they're doing, trying to do garden design themselves? You were talking about the distance, making sure you understand how, how large the, the plant is before, when it's going to be full grown so that you don't have to move it. Do you see other common mistakes? Well, I, here I see a lot of people planting too many different varieties of things, and so it just looks like a mishmash of strange foreign plants. That's why I promote a lot of endemic plants. They do really well here, just naturally. And, um, you know, add some color here and there because not all the endemic plants have that much, many blossoms or that many colors. Um, But, you know, don't make it just a crazy mishmash. Try to keep to, you know, five, six different type of plants and plant them in groups as opposed to solitary plants all over the place. Because groups look much prettier, and it helps the plant make a real statement as opposed to just a tiny little thing here and there. Um, also, don't plant it too close to the house, but don't put everything and don't put everything right up against the house. That's like a New England problem that they have there. They plant everything right up against the side of the house. Don't do that. You're just attracting pests. And um, so, what else can I think of? Um, yeah, fruit trees you want to kind of keep away from the house because you will attract rats and mice and things. And I, I stayed in the house when I was looking for property, and the guy had an orange tree near his house, and the rats would climb on the orange tree and then bend down on one of the branches and land on the roof and then go into the attic, and then he had a big rat infestation. So you don't want to make their job easy. No. No. So our wonderful technical 
uh, engineer here, Isla, has a question. Uh, I had a question about uh, the how you find working in the earth. I, be, because you have such a contrast of the New York City life, indoors and all that, and then you went to outdoors. Recently, we heard on NPR about conductive medicine, where the earth is actually giving us energy, physical, electrical energy. So I wondered how you noticed in yourself a change, like did something, did you notice a change from that environment to living outside? Oh, yeah. I mean, going from New York to Long Island um, was like taking three antidepressants and a tranquilizer, <laughs> you know. Um, and um, definitely working outside every day and working in the ground is hugely soothing and calming, you know. I can only make a general statement about that. I don't understand, you know, the details of that mm -hmm. or wh why that actually happens. Um, here it's a little different. I mean, it's just as wonderful to work outside and with the land here. But I must say the soil here is a little recalcitrant. I mean, you, it, back east, especially on Long Island, they have some of the best soil on the end of Long Island of anywhere in the country. It's actually called, it has a name, Bridgehampton Loam. And it's this beautiful moose, chocolate moose type soil that's just heaven. Here, it's like cement. You know, I, went to <laughs> I went to plant my first plant and the, just the shovel would not go in. So I stood up on it and I jumped up and down. Nothing, nothing would penetrate the soil. And I thought, well, I guess I'll be hiring somebody to do the planting which I, I still haven't, to this day, haven't planted a single thing, which is really weird for me, but I just don't have the strength anymore. So it's a little, it's a little energy draining, the soil here, but the overall lifestyle is hugely health, important and, and good for your health. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you know why the soil is like that? No, no. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's just the composition of the soil. It's clay and you know, high minerals, but not tons of different types of mer minerals. It's lacking a, a, f a few pretty mm -hmm. important minerals like calcium and things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, otherwise, I just don't know. I mean, I've, I've never lived on a volcano before, so mm -hmm. I'm coming from a glacier, you know, mm -hmm. like the, the, you know, what do they call the tail end of a glacier? I can't remember. Anyways, um, where everything is deposited there into sediment. Right. It's an alluvial plain. Mm -hmm. That's what I lived mm -hmm. on. Well, and I, I notice a big difference uh, on our property. We had no trees there when we first moved, and now 12 years later we have lots of trees. And any t place there's shade, the soil is definitely more pliable. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure, you know, the intense sunlight it bakes it it really bakes like it like a pot yeah. you know <laughs> right. because it's a lot of clay <laughs> yeah so i noticed that and uh, i think that's one of the reasons why the korean farming they say cover the soil with at least 75 percent and it you know it seems more pliable so that's interesting well i'm um, i i'm glad to hear it wasn't just my yard that no uh, no and also don't forget all the the agriculture that went on here all the um monoculture, I should say, all the sugar cane, mm -hmm. that does not do great things for ground at all. Right. All mm -hmm. plowing, mm -hmm. plowing basically disturbs, disturbs the makeup and the biology of the soil. And then 
planting the same plant over and over again. You're taking out the same nutrients until there's none of those left. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's yeah. a big problem here. Mm -hmm. So ha, ha, are you doing any garden work out here other than your own place? Are you starting to? Not right now. Um, I'm really focusing on my own place because I'm also working on my house at the same time. So I'm pretty much booked. Okay. You know, I mean, I'd, ha I'd be happy to consult mm -hmm. and or something like that. But uh, for the most part, um, I'm just swamped with what I'm trying to do at my own house mm -hmm. and loving it, loving it. But it's a lot of work. I know you guys know you guys have done it. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Laughter in the background. <laughs> it's funny now. It wasn't then. <laughs> wasn't funny then. Oh, it's it doesn't end. No, no, I'm noticing that, and I'm yeah. trying to keep that in mind because you don't mm -hmm. want to just be doing this forever. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to put an end to Well, actually, that's a very good question. I, I, I happened to run into somebody today when I was checking on one of my uh, a client's house, and a neighbor pulled by and, and mentioned. She said uh, when they, she moved here, it was just so much more work, and she's trying to make her landscape more easier to maintain. Do you have any advice for people who have that question? How do you make the landscape more easy to maintain? Well, that would be probably my first recommendation to people because it's so much labor you can't believe it. And uh, plus, it's year-round. No winter where everything stops and you can just go to bed, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's very tough here. And I think very carefully planting, you know, mostly fruit trees, you know, because we want to, you know, make ourselves more and more independent from Matlin Brothers or whoever. And um, also, you know, it's just great to pick your own fruit. It's just there's nothing like it. And um, also to give to your neighbors, you know. Um, but fruit trees, the right fruit trees do really, really well here. Avocado trees do incredibly well here in the right spot as well as um, mango trees are beautiful trees there. You can't do anything to a mango tree, and that'll grow huge. But um, so you want to you develop some shade for your property, and you want to plant trees that are not going to overgrow, but that'll be, you know, that you can keep for 20, 30 years. Um, and not too many things, not a lot of beds, you know. Don't do a lot of beds with flowers because you'll hate them and you'll want to just plow them under because it's too much work, you know. So if you're going to have flowers, have them on shrubs and don't be, you know, don't, you don't need a perfect bed filled with mulch all around it. You know, just keep the weeds down with a weed whacker or whatever you can and just keep it simple. And, and that's the most beautiful. And plus a lot of things will come in and volunteer in your garden. So, you know, it's good and bad, so yes. you don't need to cover every piece because that'll mm -hmm. happen on its own. Right. Well, and that's also, I think, a very good advice. I know some of the things that actually have done the best at uh, our oh, property yes. is, you know, it just appeared. came, it just appeared, and it appeared because it loved it there, and then it did very well. Well, that's what you're going to do best with, a yeah. plant that likes that climate and that soil. Yeah. I notice especially papayas and cherry tomatoes seem to just grow from nowhere. Oh, yeah. And uh, and yet if you try to plant them, they may not grow as well. Yeah, that's so, very true. So that's good advice. So few plants um, don't, and, it, well, I think that's the other thing. I think I see people come here 
uh, from the mainland who are used to manicured properties, and they're kind of shocked that not every property here is is, <laughs> is perfectly manicured. Yep. So that's something to really consider when you're planning your garden. Yeah, absolutely. How much work do you either want to do yourself or pay someone else to do? And just remember, it's twice as much as what you're used to if you lived on the East Coast because there is no break. There's mm-hmm. no recess mm-hmm. from gardening here on Hawaii. Mm-hmm. You know? I know we used to say that about the honeybees because... Uh, Honeybees sleep other places, but here they produce year-round. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's fascinating. Yeah. Poor things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's great for the, actually, it's great for the garden because we really need the bees to be uh, pollinating. And yeah, so that's another, maybe, do you consider that what, you know, pollinator plants? All the time. And um, bird attracting plants as well. Uh, especially for, you know, we have so many birds that are endangered. I don't know if I can coax them down this low. You know, I'm only at 300 feet above sea level. But, you know, you never know. Nature's a funny thing. Plant it, they may come, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they do. I know Isla and I planted half an acre of sunflowers. Oh, boy, that's and fantastic. Oh, it was beautiful. Uh, I know. We, but we just went to the health food store and bought sunflower seeds like you would eat and threw them, in, and, and they... Uh, Aren't you something? And they all came up. But what happened is we, we, never had, we never had birds, and then all of a sudden hordes of birds started coming on our property. See, that's incredible, and people should really pay attention to that because... Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I want to, you know, um, create bat habitat and some of the endangered bird habitat. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking about doing, like, half of my property is just a forest, creating a forest mm-hmm. that'll do well at my altitude and, you know, but mix in some higher altitude things that'll try and see what happens and just leave it alone. I mean, that to me sounds the most interesting. Um, in my living room where I'm living now, I haven't, I'm putting up a lanai, but it's nothing now, and I just let the weeds grow right up to the window. And it's just fascinating to look at all the different kinds of finches from all over the world that come and feed on the grasses at my window. And I'm right there to see them up close. It's just stunning, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, so that's, I think that's something we don't always think about is that what we plant also attracts yeah, and it's important, you know, especially a place that's just a big old field that's, you know, been grazed or planted with sugar cane, you know, bring it back, bring back the trees and the natural habitat. So what's next for you when you finish your house? <laughs> well, I did a book on the four oldest farming families living on Long Island where I lived that were still farming the same land as when they came in the 1600s. So I photographed them over a full year doing everything that they do on the farm. And that was so incredibly rewarding that I think I might try to do another photo book like that here nice. on the Big Island. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, opposite of showing the resorts, which are, I love them. Who doesn't love a resort? But um, I'd like to show more of, you know, the everyday Hawaii, especially the big island, you know, just um, the real Hawaii, you might say. And I would love to do that. So I think that's going to be 
my next project. Mm, you know, everything wonderful. from the little painted churches mm. to, you know, whatever, you know, the guys at the coffee shop. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It'd be really fun, I think. Mm -hmm. Sounds terrific. Sounds like a great idea. Thanks. And Thanks. what about garden-wise? What do you, well, it sounds like maybe next is the forest. I think the forest is next. I've pretty much planted everything I want to plant here. I've got, I just planted a bunch of little fig trees, not too many, like six or seven, because I love figs. And they seem to be doing well. And if they keep doing well, then I'll plant more of them. That's kind of what I've done with my property is plant it, try it. If it does well, get more. <laughs> <You know? laughs> mm -hmm. So that's what I'm doing. Or you can even make more, huh? What do you mean? Well, take cuttings from the ones you have. Yeah, that's too slow. <laughs> I'm not going to be here forever, you know. So, yeah, um, yeah the, so I'm pretty much done with my property for right now in terms of planting. So, yeah, the forest is the next thing. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Well, any other advice you have for people who are thinking about? Keep it about simple. Keep, keep it, it simple. simple. Mm -hmm. It'll be easier to care for. The plants will be happier. Plant things that like this island. You know, make sure you plant them in the part of your yard that they'll be happy, and then they'll make you happy. What about watering? Any thoughts about... Uh, well, I think people tend to overwater. Wait till your plants, you know... I mean, you'll get a feel for it. Like, I know after a week and a half of no water that some... This plant, this plant, this plant's going to need water. So I give it a nice, slow drink, depending on the size. You know, not a flood of water, but a slow drink. So what is that? So tell us more about what is a slow drink. A slow drink, well, um, if you've got your hand on the faucet, you'll turn it to mate from 12 o'clock is off to 3 o'clock and see how that goes. It's not, it's not like, you know, something you want to wash your car with, but it's, you know, it's got to be more than that, but... You want, you want it to fill up the base of the plant, you know, its little bed that the plant has, um, in about 45 seconds. Mm. Boy, this is very technical. <laughs> I'm totally making this up. No, I'm not. But anyways, and then, then it drains down. But in 45 seconds, it should fill that little, you know, round area that you've cleared around the base of the plant, and then it should go down. And then, you know, that means you have the right amount of water on because it's giving time for the soil to absorb the water and not just flushing right through to the ocean, you know? So that's, that's what I mean by slow water. Okay. And, and that really does the plant a lot of good. And do you do, you do irrigation, or are you finding no, your hand I watering just, most no, of your plants? No, I don't. I just, I just move the hose around. I take a day, you know, when I know it's been too dry and it's time to water. I just take a day and I just do stuff at home and, and move the hose around. I mean, that's how I do it. Um, mm -hmm. You could, irrigation can be great, but it's complicated here and you'd have to have a lot of different zones. And um, Yes, I know, keep hearing so many complaints from people who have irrigation that it's always breaking, that they're always getting large water bills, uh, that they, they really have trouble keeping up with irrigation. Well, it's really not that high a science, um, but you do need a really good irrigation person. The whole time I was in business, for 20 years I had the same irrigation guy, and he was invaluable. 
you know, and he knew exactly what I wanted and exactly how I wanted the system and how much water certain plants wanted and what plants wanted it overhead and what plants wanted it only on their roots. So he was invaluable, and that's incredibly important. But if you don't have that, it's a complete pain. <laughs> it is always breaking, and you are always overwatering things. That's probably the biggest thing is people overwater. Mm. They go, if it, looks, if it doesn't look perfect, water it, and that's not always what it needs. So maybe you could tell us what are the signs of overwatering, because maybe people... Yellow leaves. It's kind of tricky, because uh -huh. the leaves will go yellow if they're dry or mm -hmm. if it's too much water. Mm -hmm. um, so that's tricky. That's all about knowing your plant and when you last watered it and just getting a feel for it. Mm -hmm. um, Overwatering plants will rot, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, so and uh, obviously the soil will be moist if it's oh, yeah, overwatered. Yeah. Where yeah. if it if it needs water, it'll be it'll very be dry, dry and cracked. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yellow leaves bad sign around either way. water either either way yeah mm -hmm. just have to find out what it is mhm mm well anything anything else you'd like to share no i i feel like i've talked more than i've talked in years <laughs> i know well all of us are talking less aren't we but uh, i want to thank you so much for being here oh, today thank you for having me yeah sharing all this wisdom is there, so it sounds like you're not really doing designing now, but you might be open to consultation if yes, someone needed absolutely. some help. Absolutely. All right. So this has been Wendy Chamberlain talking about garden design here on KNKR LP 96.1 FM Kohala. I'm your host, Holly Allgood, for Tutu's Talk Story. Aloha. The fall election is here. This will be the first general election without polling places. All registered voters will receive a mail-in ballot. For your vote to be counted, it must be received by the elections office no later than 7 p.m. on November 3rd. Mail early to make sure your ballot is received in time. Or, beginning October 14th, you can drop your ballot in a place of deposits. The North Kohala and Waimea police stations are the two closest drop-off sites. On October 7th, the Hawaii County Clerk will begin sending out ballots. If you've not received your ballot within a week of that time, call the elections office at 961-8277. Make sure your vote is counted. Jaw Works. Wednesdays. 6 to 8. Check it.